This is the Best Friends Podcast, dedicated to sharing the people and programs that are ending the killing of cats and dogs in America's animal shelters. You'll hear from animal welfare leaders from across the movement who will share the innovative and collaborative work that are creating life-saving successes in communities of all sizes. Welcome to the Best Friends Podcast. It's December the 17th. My name is John Dunn, and today it's a topic that we don't talk about very much here on the podcast. It makes the world go round, and without it, we couldn't save lives. That's right. Today, we're going to be talking about money. Now, before we dig in, we want to know what you are doing for the holidays. Do you have a special tradition to treat the pets in your care or your own pets? For example, at Best Friends, we have an annual tradition at the Sanctuary in Southern Utah. So many generous donors send in toys and treats all year long, and many times they ask us to hold them till Christmas. So the staff load up a trailer and go deliver gifts to the animals. It's so cool. Now that's a video from last year at the sanctuary of a very large trailer full of toys and a small dog in the trailer losing his mind as he tries to pick his Christmas present. Podcast at bestfriends.org. What is your tradition or maybe what are you planning to do for the first time? At my house, we pull out sweaters. Yeah, I promise everyone likes it or at least tolerates it long enough for photos. Again, email podcast at bestfriends.org. Okay, so you probably know that Giving Tuesday was a couple of weeks ago. This now International Day of Giving has become quite the phenomenon. Those of you with an organization, you probably took part, and all of us probably made a donation. The world of online fundraising these days, the availability of tools, platforms to raise funds, make it easier than ever, whether that be social media or otherwise, email marketing platforms. And in 2020, quite frankly, there's no excuse to have a bad website. But here we are, in December of 2020, we've got this unfathomable situation with the pandemic and what it's done and doing to the economy. At the end of November, 16 million Americans reported that they had not worked in the last seven days, and a third of them said the pandemic was preventing them from seeking employment. So at a time when nonprofits that serve our communities are needed so badly, our donors who are able to give responding during the crisis. So there was a lot to be done, but it was really, really fun because I got to take all this information and kind of build it based on what our shelter needs now and create a system that flows and grows with us. That's Sarah Cano. She's with the Humane Society of Harlingen in Texas. Our definitions of fun might not line up because you'll hear how she helped create a functioning communications and development effort in a community that needed a lot of help in the middle of the pandemic, like as the pandemic was unfolding. Her efforts helped build a campaign that smashed their Giving Tuesday goal. We'll jump back to Sarah in Texas in a bit, but we thought it might be cool to hit digital fundraising at a higher level, that sort of 10,000 foot level. And when it comes to digital fundraising, there's one person I think of immediately, and that person is Amy Starnes. I'm the Senior Director of Digital Engagement at Best Friends Animal Society. And I used to work in high tech. That was the place that I started in my early years, and I volunteered on the weekends at my local animal shelter writing biographies for cats. And a job came up 
at that shelter for a digital manager. And I decided I wanted to do more than write bios for cats and do it full time. I uh, work with the digital teams at Best Friends and we're really excited about the work that we get to do both in terms of the you know ways we get to help animals and best friends and the ways that we get to share what we've learned with the broader animal welfare movement. Amy, I want to talk about Giving Tuesday, how that went. Also interested to know about online fundraising, just overall in the middle of this, <laughs> what we're all going through this pandemic. But as you said, you've been doing this for quite a while. You've helped shepherd the digital fundraising program at Best Friends to where it is today is wildly successful. And, you know, listen, I'm old enough to remember, and I think maybe you are too, I think we're a similar age, but I'm old enough to remember rotary phones and car phones with shoulder straps. And here we are now in this time where technology adoption is, it's just so widespread, right? And I'm interested to know sort of where we've come from, where we are today, you know, what, what is the share? Uh, you know, what is, we talk about a growth, but w- what has the growth of online fundraising been? Yeah. So digital is one of the top three giving programs in our organization. Direct mail, even though that may feel like something, you know, that is is not as Modern as digital is still a really critical part of fundraising programs. It's absolutely, you know, a channel that continues to be really important in fundraising. And planned giving and bequests are an incredibly important part of fundraising for nonprofit organizations and for us, you know, helping people to make those uh, really meaningful, um, you know, gifts at, at end of life to have their legacy continue on. So I think we've absolutely seen a lot of changes in people's digital behavior over the years. E-commerce comes to mind. I mean, you think about just our shopping habits and how much more comfortable we are purchasing things through our phone, even. Uh, You know, I I can't even imagine five years ago the extent to which I would buy things through my phone. I'm not saying that's a good thing for me, (laughs) but but it's certainly something that has changed. And you think about the behaviors of, um, you know, our parents and Maybe our grandparents, I guess it depends, you know, on your on your particular generation. But there's just a much higher comfort level with people making those transactions online. And I think you see that no place more than, you know, in what Facebook has really done for uh, online fundraising in the past few years. So with that, let's shift to Giving Tuesday. For those that may not know the history, what Giving Tuesday is, why it's a thing, what is it? So Giving Tuesday started in 2012, and it was started by some really smart, inspiring people at the 92nd Street Y. They wanted to create a opportunity for people to give back to, you know, really support the causes that they cared about and their communities, you know, support the organizations who were doing that inspiring work, um, you know, that they could get behind. And And I think they thought of it a little bit as an anecdote to the Black Friday, Cyber Monday um, holidays that you've made all of your commercial purchases. And now is a time when you can do something really meaningful. So, you know, it's grown every year since 2012. And 
we were there in the early days of Giving Tuesday, really thinking about, you know, what does this mean to people and how can we do something that really inspires folks and makes them feel really connected and, you know, like they're doing something that matters to them. Okay, so now let's talk about this year. What was the bottom line on Giving Tuesday overall for 2020? So this was an interesting year for Giving Tuesday. Earlier in the year, the Giving Tuesday organization decided to do something they had never done before, and they did Giving Tuesday Now, which was a response to COVID-19 and the needs that nonprofits were feeling to raise money to be able to support their organizations throughout the year, to fundraise for the things that they needed to do differently. And that was a really interesting opportunity. So a lot of organizations jumped on it. Uh, A lot of them had really great success in rallying support for their work. And then when regular Giving Tuesday came around this year uh, at the beginning of December, I don't think anyone knew exactly what would happen. But a lot of organizations participated. And amazingly, about 34.8 million people participated this year, which is almost 30% more than participated last year. So that's really exciting. The total revenue that was raised last year was about $1.9 billion, and this year about $2.5 billion in the United States alone. So that's about a 25% jump in total revenue. A lot of that revenue we saw coming in through human services organizations, food banks, groups like that, which I think makes a lot of sense when you think about the work that's being done this year. But a lot of that was also seen through animal welfare organizations, environment, which often gets thought of as a similar analogy to animal welfare. So I think a really successful year for the organizations who chose to invest the time and resources in Giving Tuesday. Something that's important to think about with Giving Tuesday, as well as with any fundraising campaign, is to not just lean on the fact that it's a day of giving, so you should give to us, you know, but really thinking about the opportunity to tell your donors, to tell your supporters about all of the impact that the organization has had that year, where your donations are going, to really share the stories of all of the work that you've done over the course of the year to really inspire people to make those donations. So at Best Friends, you know, we had a really strong Giving Tuesday. One of the things that we really focus on is using the day as a way to share those stories and really see how your donation goes to work. So we think a lot about storytelling on social media, We do Facebook Lives or premieres now, which is kind of like a live, but allows you to pre-record your content, which can sometimes be a little bit easier on those really busy days, Uh, you know, to really show the behind the scenes work, um, you know, that people are supporting with their donations. So we spend a lot of time on storytelling. We spend a lot of time leading up to Giving Tuesday, telling people about all of the great work that's happened throughout the course of the year and really thanking them for all of their support. You know, stewardship is absolutely a critical part of fundraising. We say thank you and we say thank you and we say thank you again. That's how we think about, you know, kind of the cadence of stewardship to fundraising asks because, you know, we are incredibly grateful and we want our donors to know that. So there are a bananas 
amount of types of online giving or platforms, ways to engage, give to nonprofits. And it used to be, I keep doing the, in my day, <laughs> and it's like, this wasn't even my day. This was five years ago. Facebook, I just, I looked this up ahead of, uh, of, of talking to you. Facebook launched the donate now button for charities like five years ago. So the acceleration is nuts. And I assume that's part of the exponential growth for us and the rest of the nonprofit sector. So it just it's just a very exciting time. It is, it is. And it's really exciting to see that kind of growth because it comes from so many different places. You know, um, if you asked me five, six, seven years ago where people were giving online, I would have said predominantly email, but we see so many shifts in how people want to engage with organizations, including ours. And a lot of that comes from social media. A lot of that comes from personal fundraisers. And, and that's really driven by social media too. And a lot of it is driven by really, you know, interesting new areas like live streaming, uh, you know, where we see people who are really passionate and have these great communities that they've built online and, you know, choose causes that are meaningful to them and do fundraisers for them. We've seen growth in advertising and really, you know, honing in on giving opportunities on our website. So, you know, some people think of digital as a channel. I think of it as many, many channels that are constantly growing and changing. Live streaming is wild to me, Amy, because it's it's like things like people watching other people play video games. I, it sounds crazy to a lot of people, I'm sure. It's like a whole new world. And there's a lot that we could talk about with that and all of these new things. But with the time we have today, I want to know about fundraising now during the pandemic. Nothing seems to be the same. Uh, obviously. And from my perspective, I, Amy, you're going to have to tell me, but what I see from the charities I support, the messaging, it's different. It has to be different. Of course, it's not conventional. That sounds stupid to think that it would be, but this really has changed. And everything right now is a mess, right? We've got the economy, unemployment, evictions, all supposed to get worse from here. So what is the advice you can give on how to navigate all of this? Absolutely. One of the things that we saw early this year when COVID-19 first came to the forefront of all of our lives were organizations who stopped fundraising. And I think that came from a fear that it was not the right time for them to ask and that they didn't know how to make an ask that felt right during this time. And I think it is really important that organizations stop and think about, well, what is your ask during this time? What do you need? What is the work that you're doing? And how does it relate? You have to think about what that message looks like. But the reality is people can care about multiple things at the same time. And what's important is to keep that sensitivity in your mind and to be willing to adjust if something comes up, if there is a news cycle that you think, you know what, this is not our moment. We're going to pause on this for a week, um, you know, to make those adjustments. But animals matter. And every organization I know of out there has, I'm going to say the word pivot, 
has pivoted in some way this year because animals need care and animals are part of our families and part of our communities and part of what has kept us going through this time, you know, through being at home and being isolated from our broader communities. I think so many of us have sought comfort in our pets and that's a realization about how critical they are in good times and in bad times. So I think it is a matter of thinking about what are you doing? What are you doing differently? How can you show your supporters, your community that you are continuing to save lives and you're doing whatever it takes? And don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to make that ask. Just, you know, make sure your timing feels right to you and trust your gut on it. But not fundraising is not going to help us to, you know, have the foundations that we need for our organizations going forward. So we're rolling right into end of year, huge time for fundraising, right? Um, Well, today's the 17th, so we're smack dab in the middle of it. And hopefully everyone, every person listening to this in a development capacity with an organization, you've already made your plans and you're already making it happen and reaching your goals. But how did you, just give me an understanding of how you and your team looked at end of year this year you know, how did you view it? How did you approach it given the state of all of this? We thought a lot about our messaging for the holidays and what would resonate with people, how we would share the changes that we've made this year and how we would use that to inspire people to support us at a time when people are often inclined to give. I think it's no secret that the majority of individual giving happens at the end of the year. It's when people are feeling the most inspired to give and to support the causes they care about most. So we put a lot of thought into what that messaging looked like. And we committed to just taking it day by day, to seeing what people responded to, to seeing how things went. The thing about this holiday season is, you know, by all accounts, there's an expectation that people are spending more in terms of gift giving. And, you know, with that, we hope that also relates to charitable giving. Uh, We're continuing to see people, you know, come out and support the work that we do. I expect that other organizations are seeing the same thing. And, you know, we hope for a, a strong holiday season because that really helps us to be successful all year round. Now, what happens in January, I think, is a little bit of anybody's guess at the moment. We have a new president coming in. We have vaccinations around the corner. So, you know, we'll see what those changes mean for people's economic comfort levels and for, you know, where giving may go. But, you know, we're going to continue to do the same work that we do. We're going to look for opportunities to do things differently if it makes sense. And we're going to continue to thank the people who have stood by us and supported us through a really challenging year because we couldn't do this work without them. There's so much more we could talk about, Amy, but I think it's important for us to have focused where we did today on what's happening now. Uh, We're going to have to have you back on at some point so we can talk about all of the new things, the trends. But as you said, we're going to have to keep an eye on next year. Who knows what the hell next year is going to look like for everyone. But one thing we talk about, we talk about this a lot on the podcast, but still probably not enough, the human-animal bond. Keeping people and pets together, even during a pandemic, uh, more so during a pandemic, how important that is, right? And I, I feel like we shouldn't be bashful 
about what we do and, and damn it, asking for money. It's critical work. And people, I mean, as you pointed out in the numbers this year, people are there for us, our supporters, because they see the importance of it. They just need to know about it. Yeah, the work you do still matters. It still matters during a pandemic. Animals still need the services that you provide. People still want those services to be available. So I know that it's hard when we see organizations who are really on the front lines of human services, whom you may feel like are more important right now, but the reality is donors will make those choices. So don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to ask for what you need. And don't be afraid to share how you have adapted this year to make your organization continue to do its life-saving work in unprecedented times. People who can donate will donate. What we've seen this year are that a lot of times we'll see less donors to a campaign, but they will give higher gifts. And I think that that makes sense. I think when we see, there are certain folks who will say, this is not the year for me to donate. And that that's totally understandable. And then we will see that there are people who still have capacity to give and are going to be even more generous, maybe because they know that not everyone is as fortunate as they are this year. So don't underestimate your donors. Don't underestimate their capacity for generosity and for kindness. One thing, you know, to consider is that, you know, many organizations are built off of those small dollar donations. And even if you have your donors giving five, ten dollars when they used to give twenty five, thirty dollars, it still matters. It still matters. And we will still have those relationships with those donors when we're in better times. This podcast is proud to be part of the Best Friends Network. And this is a coalition of thousands of public and private shelters, rescue groups, spay and neuter organizations, and other animal welfare groups in all 50 states. We support each other, share best practices, proven life-saving strategies. The network offers a ton of amazing resources. <laughs> the podcast? Uh, seriously, though, if you want to know how to start a return to field program to save cats, there's a resource for that. Need to balance your organization's budget? There's a model and a template and guidance for that. Or how about the recently launched Fundraising Fundamentals course? You want to save lives, change hearts and minds, make a difference. And you know what? Donors do too. By working together, you can transform how people care for animals in your community. Through 11 lessons, you'll get a great understanding of what you need to be successful when it comes to raising money. Now, it is geared for municipal agencies or nonprofits with a government contract, but the lessons are valuable for everyone. And even for the pros, it's a good refresher, and you may even learn something new. If you completed Lesson 9, you explored a lot of fundraising tactics. Hopefully, you made some choices. But no matter what choices you made or will make, there are a few things that are true for all tactics. Anyone can take it, and it's offered for the low, low price of free. Then you have to call on your team building skills to help ensure that everyone who has a role feels invested in the tactic's success. Tie it back to life saving, always. And this is particularly excellent for new staff, which leads us into our next story. We're located in what's called the Lower Valley. So we're at the very southernmost tip of Texas. Um, it's probably 30 minutes from here to the border. This story initially was about the Humane Society of Harlingen's successful Giving Tuesday campaign. 
But what's happened there in the last few months is incredible. And it sort of doesn't make sense to just talk about Giving Tuesday because the success two weeks ago is a culmination of what's happened since the beginning of the year. My name is Sarah Cano, and I am the Community Engagement Coordinator at the Humane Society of Harlingen. I have to tell you, Sarah is awesome. Her story, to be able to do what she's done in the last few months, and the Humane Society story overall, all of the staff, it's remarkable. I grew up here in the Valley. I went to college in Houston. I thought that I was going to be a nurse. I was doing an internship in nursing at a local hospital in Houston. I wanted to move back to the Valley to be closer to my family. And when I came down here, I realized that I really wanted to stay. And just by happenstance, there was a position open at the Humane Society and it all fell into place. I started January 2nd. I was the communications coordinator, and so I was doing all of our like media, social media, that kind of thing. Talk about timing for a new gig, right? So this understaffed, overwhelmed shelter, a community that was killing so many animals that they were near the top when it came to places that needed the most help in the entire country. Um, the shelter wasn't in the greatest place. You know, we were saving, I want to say it was like 23% of the animals that went in. And when you're talking about an average annual intake of 6,500, that's a lot of animals. The community was not pleased with that. Of course, you, know, you can't blame them. And so there was a lot, a lot of fixing to be done. There was a lot of work to be done. Fighting to save every life and in the middle of a pandemic, no less. COVID hit. And, you know, like the rest of the world, we were scared. We had no idea what was going to happen, what the future was going to look like. One thing we knew was that we could not survive without donations. And so we really needed somebody to sit there and focus all of their efforts on donations, fundraising, donor stewardship, and donor retention. My job was really to just reach out and get more support. One of the biggest things that I was doing at that time was planning for Wine and Whiskers, which is our biggest annual fundraiser. Then, of course, COVID happened. All events were canceled, so that went out the window. And so we kind of had to change the way that we were doing things, right? I had to get creative in my fundraising efforts, but we also lost the majority of our staff. You know, we went down to a skeleton crew of six. And during that time, I did a lot of kind of investigating into like, okay, what's really going on here? What do we have set up already so that we're not trying to reinvent the wheel in terms of fundraising and development? As a one-man development team, there was a lot to unpack there. Um, there wasn't ever really somebody dedicated to fundraising and development. Um, so what was happening before was, you know, someone would make a donation, we'd tell them thank you at the door, and then that was kind of the end to it. If it was a larger donation and somebody had time, maybe they'd get a thank you note in the mail, um, but it was pretty rare. And tracking, donor retention, all of that, it was uh, pretty much, it, it didn't exist. It was definitely interesting, you know, looking back at it, I can show you, we had this giant box and the box had all these envelopes on it and then just random pieces of paper. And the piece of paper would be a scanned copy of a check. And that was the record keeping. But sometimes you'd look at it and on the scanned copy, the part of the check that has the person's name and information, there'd be like a post-it on top of it when it went through the copier. So I have no idea who this thousand dollar check came from. So it was a lot of having to go back and kind of put the pieces together, do some investigative work to figure out, you know, who are these people so that we can thank them, so that we can get engaged with them, and so that we can pull them back in for support. Okay, just jumping in here to make sure you're tracking the timeline. 
This is happening in March as the pandemic is taking over. The staff at the Humane Society is working hard to empty the shelter and get pets into foster homes, which they did very well. We are looking for urgent adopters and foster parents to come in and, and bring these guys home. It's the perfect time if you found yourself working from home or having a little bit of extra time at home in light of everything else that's happening. And we would love for you to have a little buddy. A foster program that had about 10 animals in homes pre-pandemic jumped to 80 with the community's help. There's stress involved with it, but I think that when you plan it well, it can really work out in your favor. Here's Sarah figuring out how to put the pieces together, as she puts it, I mean, having to do this photocopied check detective work to sort out who a $1,000 donor might be, it was crazy, but it wasn't the only challenge. You know, we already had our Facebook page. We already had our Instagram page. Our website was up. Of course, there's a problem with that too. We found out that a random volunteer kind of owned the domain and so we couldn't change anything. So Dawn with Best Friends helped us a lot with trying to fix that. So at the start of the year, I guess not really the start of the year, at the start of COVID, right in March. Like I said, we didn't really know what exactly was going to happen, but we knew that we needed, well, one of the big things that we needed were donors coming in, and of course, adopters and fosters. Um, so we switched our marketing as we went. Hi everybody, my name is Sarah Cano and I am the Community Outreach Coordinator here at the Humane Society of Harlingen. I'm really excited to be here with you all to talk about all the different opportunities that we have as volunteers, virtual fosters, and becoming a foster family. In March, everybody was like, oh my gosh, my kids aren't going to go back to school. What am I going to do? We're going to be stuck here. You know, what can we do to make to make it so that animal welfare still has a place during this time of kind of chaos, right? So one of the things that we did was we reached out to parents, we reached out to students, you know, we were posting on social media, talking about the benefits of having animals at home. Because of everything that's been going on with COVID-19, we've put a halt to in-person volunteering, but there are still many ways that you can be a part of the life-saving journeys here at the Humane Society of Harlingen. How, you know, you could take in a foster animal and it provides that same sense of stability and schedule and response to kind of get kids to stay in that mindset. Super successful. It worked out great. We cleared the shelter like three times. And then, you know, when that wave moved on, we had to change again. Have you ever felt like nobody was there? Have you ever felt forgotten in the middle of nowhere? So then in May, this is usually when, you know, you're going to your kids' recitals and their final performances and all that. We thought, well, let's reach out to our local school district and let them know that we want to partner together. So we did a virtual talent show. And oh, someone will come running and I know they'll take you home. Um, and we had kids of all ages participating. It was the coolest thing. You know, they got to send in a video of them performing or singing or whatever it was, and then people would vote. And the votes were, it was $1 per vote. And so you got to send in based on your favorite performance. Another turning point, a fork stuck in the road. Tom grabs you by the wrist, directs you where to go. But it was amazing because we had, you know, a couple thousand people watching and the kids were so excited because they got paired with an animal. And so they would say, hi, you know, I'm Sarah and today I'm performing for Speedy. And then all the money went to that animal. It was really, really good. Um, but it was definitely a lot of 
changing the way that we are marketing what we're doing in order to fit what the community needs at that time. So like I said, as a one-person development team, your time is spread pretty thin in what you can do. Thankfully, our executive director, Luis Quintanilla, and I, we really we kind of get each other, right? So we can see where each other are going. And sometimes I'll just walk in and sit in front of him and just say, what if we did this? And he'll say, yes, but what if we added this? And I'll say, oh my gosh, and then we could do this. And so it's a lot of collaborative effort. Um, we've taken a lot of risks. Um, we've done things that are a little bit outside of the box, um, but it all works out. Hi everybody, Sarah here with the Humane Society of Harlingen. On behalf of all of us here, we want to wish you a very happy Thanksgiving. This Thanksgiving, we encourage you to take part in Giving Tuesday. Giving Tuesday this year, this is the first time that I had led a Giving Tuesday campaign. And, you know, as with most things, I wasn't entirely sure what it was going to look like. Hi everybody, Sarah here with the Humane Society of Harlingen. We are so excited to announce Leah Wise, Personal injury attorney, Harlingen native and animal lover is going to be this year's Giving Tuesday ambassador. How exactly I got on to the idea of asking Leah to be our Giving Tuesday ambassador, I can't really tell you. I, I must have seen something somewhere, seen a post of her somewhere and just thought of it. Hi everybody, I'm Leah Wise, also known as Crash Gal, and this is Mr. Robinson. As you can see, he has two broken legs, but with the help of all of your generous donations, he was able to get surgery and he's on his way to Austin to see a great orthopedic surgeon. She is a personal injury attorney here in the Valley. She's a Harlingen native. She is the biggest animal lover. She has this huge following on um, social media. If you follow her, you know all about her cats. Like they are her world. And so I reached out to her just to see if she would be interested in playing a part. And she was so excited. She was really, really excited to jump in and do something great for these animals. She wanted to help them as best she could. So I kind of took that energy. So this year, we're going to try and raise a lot of money for the Humane Society. So if any of my followers want to send me a screenshot of their PayPal or Venmo donation, send it to me in my DMs and I will match your donation dollar for dollar. I and I think it worked out really well. You know, we had an initial goal to raise $6,000. We met that goal before Giving Tuesday even happened. I think it was like the Sunday night before. Um, we ended up raising just over or just under $17,000. So we were at about $16,700 when all was said and done. It was a really, really successful campaign. And it was really cool because we were pulling together this group of animal lovers. A lot of them were first time donors to the Humane Society. And so we kind of realized that when you partner, all you're doing is getting this larger group of people involved in your mission. And so for someone like her, who is, you know, she's known around the Valley because she's an incredible lawyer, but she's also known as being this incredibly compassionate, incredibly kind person who's always giving back. And so pulling her followers in to be a part of this was amazing too. And now we have, you know, even more followers on Facebook. We have even more followers on Instagram, all these people who are getting to be a part of the changes that are happening in Harlingen that maybe otherwise wouldn't have. There's a lot that we learned from Giving Tuesday. You know, we learned how to better track, okay, this donation came from a Giving Tuesday campaign, whereas this donation, somebody was just randomly on our website. But then also I think some of the lessons of getting involved, continuing to partner with other people, working together is gonna be a big, big part of end of year and our goals for 2021. 
um, creating a community that is an extension of the shelter, pulling in more fosters. From our end, it really pays to have people advocating for you in the community. When you have somebody who will go out there and say, you know, you should support the Humane Society. I support them. Here's why. It really, really helps us in kind of lessening our load of what we have to do um, in order to maintain that same level of support. I told you, didn't I? Remarkable. And the proof is in the life-saving over the months of January to October in 2019, a 47% save rate this year, the same period, 92%. If you have a bucket like we had full of envelopes and post-its and copied checks, get rid of it. You've got to have some kind of donor management system where you could track all of your donations. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Volunteers are some of the greatest people in the world and you will find some who are there and dedicated to help you whenever you need it. You just have to look really, really hard and be very nice to them and reach out to people. You know, don't be afraid to reach out to other organizations. I can't tell you how many people I've reached out to just to kind of pick their brain to see, you know, do you think this is a good idea? Have you done anything like this before? We work better in numbers. All of us do. We're all on the same team. You know, myself helping an organization three or four states north, that's still getting the job done. The podcast website, bestfriends.org slash podcast, all of the fundraising resources we talked about and more. And we'll also have a link to that fundraising fundamentals course, bestfriends.org slash podcast. The producers, Tawny Hammond, Amy Charlton, Bethany Hines, and Mark Peralta. My name is John Dunn, and this is the Best Friends Podcast.